Welcome to the MedMan Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. I'm Jesse Arnoldson. And I'm Jay Holmes. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's program. Hey, everyone. Jay here with the MedMan Podcast. We are fortunate to have Sherry Stanton as our guest today. Sherry is originally from Virginia and received her nursing degree in 1983 from the Simpson School of Nursing. In 2013, she graduated from Arizona State University with her BSN and then earned her Master's of Science in Nursing in 2017 from the University of South Alabama. As a registered nurse, Sherry worked in the hospital setting as a charge nurse in various adult intensive care units and then specialized in pediatric ICU and neonatal ICU for 22 years. After earning her family nurse practitioner, Sherry focused her career in the rural settings, first in Idaho, then in Virginia. And now she finds herself back home in Idaho where she gets to practice medicine and see her grandbabies every day. Sherry, welcome to the show. It's so glad to have you join us today. Morning, Jay. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Good to be here. Well, excellent. We're, we're excited to hear your story. So for the first episode, we want our listeners to get to know you a little bit more. So with that, let's get started. So Sherry, what got you into healthcare in the first place? You know, that's a really good question, uh, Jay. I feel like it's been yesterday that I started, but it's it's been since 1981 that I was interested in medicine. And I can't remember the exact moment, but I do remember wanting to help people. And I wasn't really sure how to do that or what that looked like. I was so young. I was only 16, 17 years old um, when I started college. And I kind of felt around and nursing kept popping out at me. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that's kind of going to be like. So um, I did all my own paperwork and went into college. And it just kind of, the, the, the snowball just began to roll. I went to a really strict, old-fashioned nursing school back in the day where we still stood and gave doctors our chair. So, I, you know, humility was learned immediately right out of the gate. And doing service for others was also something that I found I absolutely loved. And so from there, I just kept moving forward, um, realizing with each new adventure with education and learning to meet new people and actually moving around the USA and working in different facilities, I just wanted to constantly help people. So it's it was just a really good foundation for me to grow from. Sure, that's so fascinating. And I, and I don't want to miss this opportunity to ask you a little bit more. So you were 16, 17 when you were first went into college? How'd that happen? Where was that opportunity? I was one of those school nerds that was a teacher's pet. Okay. And I, I must have been 15 when I was working in the guidance counselor's office. And there was this big board. I remember that like it was yesterday. And they were like, what do you want to do? You want to go to college? You know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, first of all, I had no intent on going to college. I remember that part very strongly. I just wanted to, I don't know what I wanted to do at that time until I saw this cork board. And I was like, Wow. I might could go to college and may be able to learn something and further my education because I love school. I love studying. I loved everything about that type of structure. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated, I was 17 and I had already enrolled into nursing school and I was accepted. So I really was in unfamiliar territory as a very immature 17 year old who, of course, thought she knew everything <laughs> and the youngest in the class. And I was kind of t- 
taken under um, a lot of other women's wing because it was all women in that time frame. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved it. But I was, I graduated from college when, with my degree when I was 19. Gotcha. So still pretty immature. <laughs> yeah. What, what a, you know, then how was the first job? I worked in a hospital on night shift with a bunch of older nurses. So obviously I was pretty much kicked around in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but I was also taught and educated. It was kind of scary, but the people that I got to meet on the night shift floors were in the patients I got to take care of. They were just like my mom and dad. Some of them were kids actually too, because it was a renal failure floor that I worked on. So I was not interested in pediatrics at that time. I just happened to have to take care of a couple of the kids. But it was very um, eye-opening because like I said, we were very subservient at that time. We were not recognized as a profession. Mm -hmm. It was just a calling to go do something for other people. That is awesome. And we might just take all our time on this this one question here, just because I think it's so fascinating. (laughs) You know, you mentioned about just a lot of teaching. You know, I think we're in a phase now with a a disconnect or or perhaps just a different style of teaching, especially our younger generations and having them go into the workforce. And I think there's a big gap and not, not only just from older generations trying to teach, but also, you know, how much, how applied people are of, of learning things on the fly and, and that mismatch. What, what do you think was really the, you know, what was the style that all those people around you taught How'd they teach you and and how do you think that that benefited? As a nurse, my initial teaching came from um, nursing assistants. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not per se from the nurse themselves, because back in that time, what we mainly did was hand out medications and walk around with the physicians so that we could take their orders down. So initially I learned from nursing assistants and that's where I learned patient care because they did, you know, most of the the care for the patients between bathing, toileting, helping, talking with, sitting with, uh, providing our, you know, the most intimate basic care that we as human beings need and we should have. That's where I learned patient care was from nursing assistants. And that's where I learned my love. The educational part when it came to medications and the safety concerns that we should all continue to practice every day, which we do, came from nursing, watching, listening. Uh, School gets us prepared, but in the real world, we learn how to function with the tools that we receive. Absolutely. You know, yeah, just being around and and having the opportunity just to see, you know, multiple people do it. You know, I think there's no replacement for that in in a learning setting because, you know, just from from being babies, that's how we learn. We don't learn because our parents tell us what to do. We, We learn because we see them do it, right? And so you know, certainly, certainly applies um, in, in everything we learn. Okay, so I'm going to have to move on, even though I, I don't want to, I could keep talking about this episode here. Um, let's move outside of work. What what do you enjoy doing, you know, in, in your spare time? Well, of course, playing with my, my granddaughters. I have a little two-year-old who's going to be three in the next several months. And so she keeps me hopping and they're little sponges, you know, so it's so fun to take them out and show them the beauty of the world and do walks and hikes. And I throw in a stroller and take my, I have a Canadian Corso mix. He's a big Mastiff. So he's like a supersized pit bull. Mm-hmm. Um, he walks with us and she's constantly saying no Remy. And <laughs> so she, <laughs> she's learning from me. You know it. <laughs> um, so I spend a lot of time with them and I like to stay active. I'm a walker. I'm a hiker. 
not much of a runner anymore. Um, it's kind of hard on my joints as I'm maturing, but I love to garden. I'm so excited to start my garden this year, but I'm also a gamer. I have a PS4, so I've been, I'm an active online gamer and I have a world of friends that I consistently have played with for the last four to five years. And so that's what keeps me busy too. <laughs> That is so cool. Rarely do you hear, you know, I think, you know, adults more and more, certainly as people have grown up with, um, you know, with games that you see, you hear that more and more, but certainly not, not as much as we should. What do you say just for just a fact here? You know, what, what do you think number of hours you game in a given week? Oh, no, I can't get that secret out because that <laughs> is it a secret? our brain receptors now. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. it really does. It changes our brain receptors because they get so activated. Well, I, okay, so I actually went and bought me a real gaming chair. Okay. And I just received that the other day. I've never had a real life gaming chair. So I, oh, you know, I do get on my game every night Okay. and play with my friends. And then on the weekends, I have a big requirement. So it's like a job sometimes too on the weekends. I can say that in one night, I stayed up 13 hours until 630 in the morning gaming when I did not have to work uh, on, my, sure. on my weekend off. But it's a pretty serious fun <laughs> Yeah. You know, just to be that engaged in something is amazing uh, because, you know, many people don't have that engagement with anything they do. And so that's awesome. That's really awesome. There's, you know, there's going to be a little bit of expectation of your abilities with that gaming chair now, now that you got it, there's the expectation you're going to play a little longer, a little better. So (laughs) you better watch out. (laughs) Well, gardening, let's just talk about gardening just for a sec. What's your both favorite thing to plant, favorite thing to eat? I love the lemon cucumbers. Okay. They're so nice and clean and crisp when you eat them. And I love Cherokee purple tomatoes. I just, I could eat the lemon cucumbers and the tomatoes all day long. Those are my favorite things to grow. And plus bell peppers. When you start growing your own garden and eating your own vegetables, I felt they kind of tasted weird if that's a good word to use the first time I did it. And then I realized it's because they didn't have all of the different types of preservatives or chemicals on them. I tried for an organic garden, which is, you know, seven years without any types of additives. And that didn't work out very well for me. So I had to go back to using just regular gardening tools. Gotcha. But um, I love, I love my fresh veggies. Awesome. Yep. You know, the, the house that I live in now doesn't, has too many trees, but you know, for a long time, tomatoes was my thing. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd, I'd probably have 16 to 20 tomato plants and, and just love the, you know, once August comes around and, and just, you know, you just can't, you can't eat enough of them. And you, you mm-hmm. know, and then it comes down to canning and, you know, tomato sauce and all the wonderful things that, that fresh tomatoes give you. So that's, that's awesome. Um, moving back to, to the work setting, what do you like most about practicing medicine? And certainly that, you know, we, we touched on that in the, what got you into healthcare, but, but if you want to dive deeper a little bit and, and just say, you know, in in today's setting, what really, what really gets you going? You know, and that, that question is, is broad number one. And so I'll try to make it focused. I had a nurse practitioner student with me, which, you know, we spend a lot of time with education with, with those moments, but it also reminds you of the excitement that we feel when we start elevating our education or have a higher level of education. So through her eyes, and I had a discussion with her about why we do what we do, and it always boils down to helping the person to do some service, to give back to the communities, 
to, you know, I get excited when I see the glint in someone's eye when I'm trying to explain something because everyone understands something differently. So if they don't understand why we need them to change something, they don't, they don't do it because they don't understand the, the process that needs to be changed sometimes. So I find it really exciting when I figure out the way someone learns, patient or nurse practitioner student or EMT or resident when you, or, you know, your nurses, when you're working with them, if they understand the, why something is so important when you're explaining it, um, how, how it works for them, it's very exciting to see the eyes glint. And I can see that in my patients sometimes when I'm explaining why their labs are showing one thing, it's helping them to live their life to the fullest. You know, they can make their own choices and decisions later but it helps them to understand why something is so important when you're showing them their labs and explaining what some of those um, big acronyms mean for their bodies. It's always good to help people. It's awesome. You know, it's, it's the translation of, hey, you know, this is what you're doing. It's, it's impacting you. More clarity than, you know, hopefully you're giving them control, right? When you come down to it, you're, you're, you're enabling them to have more control over themselves, which is, you know, what a tremendous feet in today's world where, you know, our culture does so much to ruin our health. And, and you know, here we are in, in the, you know, the medical profession trying to trying to reverse that. And it's a challenge because society throws so many curveballs. And so it's, it's a tough balance to, to walk. But we're a team. You know, when you approach your patients or anyone as an important part of decision-making and give them that control, you're working together for uh, for improvement. So it makes it more sustainable. Absolutely. And that's fantastic. So let's jump on to your ideal patient. Who is that? Oh, the easy answer would be the patient who does everything I suggest mm-hmm. and instruct them and tell them what to do. But we know that that's not, in, that's not <laughs> the reality of it. My ideal patient, and I really, you know, when I think about that, it would be the person who does have health issues. They have questions they don't understand. So you get to kind of help build them up from the bottom up and show them what a better, what better choices can make, why they maybe need to do something differently or add something, even if it's a medication, you know, sometimes less is best, but sometimes medication is um, an important part of their health needs. And when you have somebody who comes to you and they have you know, they've been doing so many things wrong because they, they didn't understand. The ideal patient is, is helping them to recognize their health issues, that there's things that can improve it. And here's what we can do. So I would say someone with a lot of health problems on one side, and then of course, someone who has no health problems. So you're doing preventive care on the other side. What do you think? think thanks for that. What, what do you think about the, um, the, what's the good line in your perspective of a patient trying to get as much information as possible to inform themselves versus, you know, the patient that says, well, well, I know everything. And so I'm going to challenge you. How do you feel about that? I have been a part of all of those ways. And the, the person who I'm going to address the challenging, um, we, sometimes we challenge people or challenge ideas because we don't really understand. Um, It's not that, you know, some people might challenge, they may take that type of behavior because they're confused, they're scared. They did read something on Dr. Google and that's what I call Dr. Google because we've all used it. Yep. Um, They may be afraid of something they read on Google because it only gives a snapshot of the most 
I guess, popular answers instead of doing the evidence-based research that requires time and effort. So when I have people who come in that challenge what they have and why they're not going to do something right off, right off the bat, you need to listen to that and you need to try to decide or decipher where they're getting their information, why they are already assuming a defensive stance, and then help to direct them or redirect them or show them evidence-based information to help guide them in a more positive approach to their health and to let them know you're not there just to say this, this, and this, but that you're there to help help them through a process. Now, the patients who do use Dr. Google, so they come in and they're even on their phones and they're going through their phones, looking at information. Sometimes you have to get them to stop and just look at you and say, this is what we're looking at. This is the information from credible evidence-based practice places, research areas, you know, from these big places that do a lot of research for years and years but this is my understanding of it and make sure that they're understanding what you're giving to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's nuance, you know, there's, you, you can't say, well, sure that what you're reading might pertain to, to one human being on this planet, but every human being is different. And right. there's, there's so much nuance between each one and, and certainly the experience of seeing many patients and providing care for them, you know, you're much better positioned to say, hey, you know, I understand that, but but I don't think that applies because of this, this, and this. Or there's certain things that are mm-hmm. impacting this that you're not reading and you're not understanding it. And that's why you're here so that you can get that perspective. One size does not fit all and everyone is an individual. And so they all kind of require an individual type of treatment. And examples are as sometimes families come in and what I've noticed from even working in the, in the hospital setting is that when one person is experiencing something and it's different than what the other family members experiencing, that's the way it's going to be. It's not because there's any, anything else going on. It's just that as an individual, they may experience the same illness that you're experiencing, but in a different way. So sometimes their treatment is going to be different than the treatment that applies to you. Absolutely. Yep. And sometimes that's hard because certainly you don't get that reading. Well, sure. I think this is a great place to wrap up this uh, get to know you interview. And um, thank you so much. This was awesome. Had a great time. And thank you all out there for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Sherry. Before you get distracted, click that subscribe button so you can always stay updated on new content. We hope you enjoyed the episode today and thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Jay. You have a really good day. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the MedMan Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at medman.com.